As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back, seen. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is not this, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, it, but it is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes and washed, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such things, do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? Since he's opened your He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and he had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son, whom you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was, uh, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already. And you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. 
The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes? We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened, uh, anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and you would teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. It's a wonderful, wonderful passage of Scripture. Um, and sometimes we just read bits of it, but I, the whole chapter is just this narrative of an ordinary person. You know, a person cast away, cast to the side, as the blind were in those days. They were just cast aside people. And yet there's a whole chapter given to this one cast aside person. It's wonderful. Father, we ask that as we speak today from the scriptures share some thoughts that you'd be with us holy spirit that you would impact our hearts in the name of jesus amen so we're in a, a series uh what does it mean to live in the kingdom of god oh, what does that look like some of the things that we face as we deal in the kingdom of god and we said we're going to, there are about 15 different things we're going to look at and last week we looked at the idea that we are a a people, always persons, who fit into this large story that uh, God has been narrating throughout history. Um, and sometimes I think we just see ourselves as these little individuals, these, these little people struggling with our faith, struggling to, to live, rather than seeing that we are part of a grand narrative that God is speaking and has spoken and will continue to speak that encompasses all of creation and all of the heavens because it's His story. And we fit into that. And it gives us identity. That's a really important thing. So often our Christianity is kind of reduced to me and Jesus. But actually, it's, it's through Jesus that I get connected to this large story. And we spoke about the great cloud of witnesses. Last week, Heidi read from, from Hebrews, all these great men and women of faith who at the end received, didn't receive what had been promised, but they were waiting for that promise, that realization of that promise to happen upon the people of God post-Jesus. And um, we're part of that grand narrative. We are part of those that there's, a, there's a, a cloud of witnesses who are rooting us on, who are cheering and saying, yes, yes, because as you succeed, we succeed. And, and, we, and we close with the idea that we are baton pass, passers. We've received a baton, a story. We've received a life, a faith, and we're going to pass it on. 
and then he will join this great cloud of witness. It doesn't mean that our lives are irrelevant. It means they're very, very relevant, but they're a small part of this grand narrative, but an important part. And it's important for us to see that. Um, today, we're going to talk, I want to talk a little bit about telling our story in the grand narrative story. So for those who are not looking, everybody, I asked some people to speak and everyone said they couldn't now. So you left with me. There were a whole bunch of people going to speak, but now you left with me, but that's okay. Um, but that story that we read from John chapter 9, it's an amazing story. Because here's a guy, he's born blind. He's a nobody. He hasn't got theology. He might have grown up a little bit, but he was born blind. So it's not someone who grew up reading and the scrolls and then became blind. He was born blind. So he's never had access to that. He's sat on the side, most probably begging. He's got these parents. And in those days, and you have to understand culture, in those days, if you had a child that was born blind or crippled or any of those things, it was a sign, somehow there was a sign that God was not blessing you. And maybe it was even a form of a curse. And so you were kind of embarrassed to have a child like that. And you can see it, these parents, when they said, he's of age, let him answer. We don't, we don't want to we kind of stay out of this picture. But he's got an amazing story, this blind man, who's now can see. He's got an amazing story. He says, I can't answer all your questions, but this I know. Once I was blind, and now I see. And those two lines, those two words, those phrases, are now recorded in the text for the great cloud of witnesses to be part of all of time. The grand narrative is a man that had nothing and all he could say, I don't know. But this I do know. Once I was blind, but now I see. You know, and then they, they kept egging him on. They kept like, you know, then they take him to this group, take him to that group, and his story stays the same. I don't know. I can't answer all those questions. I don't know if he's the one. Is he a prophet? Maybe. And then he just starts throwing things back at them. The uneducated, the, the, the castaways start and have a go at the religious leaders. He's saying, What's, there's something wrong with your story. And the challenge that we have and to, uh, uh, that I want to encourage you is that you've got to have a story to tell. Because how will others know about Jesus unless they hear it through your story? We can tell the stories of the Bible. But our connection as human beings is to one another. We're personable. We need to connect with people. And as I tell my story to someone, it connects. And I have to figure out ways to tell my story in a minute and ways to tell my story in five minutes and ways to tell my story if someone's got half an hour and they want to sit and listen. So that I can, this is what's happened. This is where, it's, it's, it's an important, it's what we would call our testimony, isn't it? This is what's happened to me. Now, I did an exercise once when I was in South Africa in the church that I led. I used to meet with 10 guys, and we used to meet at 5 o'clock in the morning, by the way, Miles, not 6. We used to meet at 5 every Friday morning. And we got together, and one day we did a, a thing on we, how we share our testimony. And I said, you have three minutes. All right? Only three minutes. And I think four shared that morning. The shortest was four and a half minutes. The longest was 13 minutes and not one mentioned Jesus. And it was like, oh, because all of it was, 90% was how bad I was and my bad upbringing and I did drugs and I did this and I did that. And then I came to church and got saved and and that's where it stopped. 
And the testimony, the story you want to tell is a story of this is what I was, and then I interacted with this man, Jesus, and this is what happens. I was blind, but I connected with him, and now I see. Not just I was bad and I came to church. The narrative is not about coming to church. The narrative is about connecting with Jesus. I come to church because I want to be part of Jesus' people. Now, yes, we do come to church and people meet Jesus in church. I understand that. But the narrative of our story is Jesus. He is the author, the perfecter of our faith. He is the central figure of why we are who we are. And so we have to learn to tell our story. Now, we're not doing it today, but I'm gonna, over the next while, we're going to ask some of you to tell your story. So think, write, prepare, whatever you have to do to get your story, to tell your story. Because an opportunity is going to come. So if I can say this, so I'm not looking anywhere. Everyone said to me, could have had not more, more warning. And the idea was not to have warning. Because you don't have warning when you connect with someone in the supermarket. You've got, you got to tell your story. I was blind, now I see. Or someone says, well, ask, tell me a little more. Now you can unpack it a bit more. Does that make sense? Because if we're going to live in the kingdom of God, and we're going to live under the reign of this beautiful, kind, generous, loving God, then I want to, tell, I want to speak about him. But I can't, I can't speak in just generalities. I want to speak about what he did for me. And how he met me. Is that kind of making sense? Because otherwise we're going to miss many opportunities that come our way. And I think there are more opportunities that come our way to share our story than we actually think there are. But we miss them. Or when we see them we realize, oh, I'm not ready. So we skirt by them. But actually we have amazing stories because we have an amazing Jesus. We have an incredible God who's done amazing things. And this... No nothing blind man from the side of the road. He was unashamed. Man, I don't know, but I was blind. Now I can see. And what happens at the end? He becomes this disciple of Jesus. It's a great story. And I want you to be able to tell your story. Now, some, some of you, your story is dramatic. Mine's a dramatic story. Some of you were raised in the church. And you think, well, I can't tell my story. I mean, listen to Terry's story. It's so dramatic. Man, no, but your story is important because there are people like that too. This is America. People are raised in the church. At least a certain generation were. And so we have to learn to tell our story. Oh, along the way, I was raised in the church. And then there, there came this day where I realized, man, I've got to choose this Jesus or whatever. It's finding your narrative and weaving it into the great tapestry of the grand narrative. If you do not tell your story, there's a part missing in the tapestry of God's story. There's a color missing. There's a certain type of weave missing. We all have to tell our story. And we tell it our way, not like, you know, some people stand in the pulpit and tell their story. Not everyone does that. Some of you tell it over a glass of wine, which is, I think, kind of the best way. Yeah. Wine and tamales or something. Or whatever, cheese and wine or cupcakes and wine or whatever. A, around a fireplace or, or just around a huge cacti or whatever. Cacti seems to be the thing in our church, cacti. So we'll, we'll make shrines to cacti. 
Um, but we've got to learn to tell our story. And I want to ask you over the next while, tell your story to one another. Because we'll find out things that we didn't know. Isn't that right? So I'm going to tell you a little bit of mine. Some of you know it, some of you don't. Um, I won't tell the whole thing, but... How much do I tell? So I, I come from this messed up home. You know, my mom married my dad out of rebellion to my grandmother. Then my dad was not a good man. He was actually a really bad man. He was, he'd beat my mom up. He was whatever, al- become an alcoholic. And then she decided she was going to leave him. And then she discovered she was pregnant with me. So she stayed, and I was born, and he was not good to me pretty much along the way. At 18 months, he took me out one day for a drive, left me locked in the car, which today you'd go to prison for, and went and got drunk. And that was the end of that. And so, you know, my mom divorced him, and at five, he was killed in a car accident. So, um, so he's not a good guy. My mom is a single mom. My mom's as tough as nails. She's had to be, you know. She's a, she's a survivor. She's 85 next month, she doesn't wear glasses, she can hear, she's got all her faculties, she drives a 35-year-old Jetta that's stick shift and no power steering, and, you know, she's an interesting lady. We haven't had the greatest relationship, but I lived with my grandparents, I was raised by my grandmother, my grandfather was a fiery red-haired man who had a temper beyond measure. Cowboys don't cry, all that stuff. Then you go, my first five years at five different schools, and if you count kindergarten, six different schools for the six first years. So how do you make friends changing cities? Then go to boarding school, and um, the stuff that happened in boarding school, is whatever, then the military. and So you become an independent spirit. You become a survivor. So I'm a person that mostly internalizes my problems. This idea of learning to speak about my problems and to make them known and ask for help, Aaron Wazalewski, is new to me, new in terms of three years. It's new to me. It's not what I do. But I was doing my thing. And then someone said to me, come to this church. The music's amazing. So I went. The music was amazing. And God met me. I did not look for God. I was not interested in God. God met me. I, I, I don't know how to explain it. Many of you know, I came up. There was like an altar. And I was kneeling at the altar. But I was pulling my jeans over my guns. I had guns on my hip, guns on my ankles, knives on my ankles, and I was more worried about that so people would see it. But there was this encounter with God. But on a, I mean, my story, if I could put it in a sentence, is once I was blind, and now I can see. And how life changed after that. But I've had another rebirth experience in the last three years, if I can call it that. It's been amazing. It's new, it's hard. But this I know. I couldn't answer all the questions. The next day, or here's the, here's the fun part of the story. The next morning, I worked in a bank. I worked in foreign exchange. And so the bank hall opened at 9 o'clock, and everyone was there. And at 8.55, when everyone was there, I climbed on my desk, and I asked for everyone's attention. And I told them they're all going to hell, unless they repented, submit their life to Jesus. Literally like that. And it's like, I used to be the heart of the parties. I never got invited to another party. It was kind of done. I had to find new friends. But the, the thing that happened was I would never have done it. Something happened that night, even though I couldn't explain it. I just heard words that other people were saying. I think I jumbled them up into my sentence and said, repent or you're going to hell type of thing. But God met with me. And the story is, I can now go back and tell that story over an hour. I can, I can write a book and I can explain lots of it. 
But in the moment, all I could say is, I don't know, I was blind. I could see, I felt insecure, and then I was secure. I felt like an unloved person, and then I felt loved. And I can do a few others of those. That's, that's the testimony. So when people would ask me, what happened? I'd say, I, I, I don't know, but this is what I do know. I felt rejected my whole life, and now I don't. Something happened, I don't. Now, we have to learn to tell those stories. Now, not everyone has a dramatic encounter. Brian has a dramatic encounter. One day he can tell you. It's more dramatic than mine. Some of us have had no dramatic encounters whatsoever. They've just been a meandering and a discovery. That's also part of the narrative. And I want you to learn to tell that story and weave it beautifully into the grand narrative. And together, all our stories weave our narrative of Mercy Town that make it accessible to people that we meet, that come and want to join or look in. They might not relate to my narrative, but they might relate to yours. That we all have to tell our story. Luke chapter 24. There's another story like that. I won't read the whole story. And there are a bunch of them in the scriptures. This is a story on the road to Emmaus. And the disciples, Jesus has died, and they are now all discouraged, and they're walking back. Jesus, the resurrected Jesus appears to them, begins to talk to them, and they don't recognize him for years, and then they stop and they eat, and he breaks bread, and the eyes are opened, and all these wonderful things happen. And I'll read from... Um, I'll read from verse 28. So they drew near of... of Luke 24, so they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted, Jesus, as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. See, an encounter with Jesus, they were going that way. An encounter with Jesus, they were going that way. So maybe their story could be, once I was going east, and I met Jesus, now I'm going west. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. They told their story, their narrative. One of walking away, discouraged, hurt, confused, not grasping what had happened. They connect with Jesus. Their life is turned around and they say, we met the risen Jesus. Did they have the theology for all of that? No. But that one encounter turned their lives around and and they could speak about it in a sentence. or At least it's recorded in a sentence. You can have a narrative like that. And then we have grand narratives. Let's look at um, Galatians. This is Paul. And Paul's got a few of them. Uh, maybe we won't read the whole one, but let's read some of it because it's, just such, it's beautiful. Now, I want you to see it not as, as I read this. Don't read it as theology. Don't hear it as theology. R- hear it as Paul writing a letter to the church at Galatia to encourage them and stir them up and hear what he's saying here. 
Is that all right? Start in verse 11. Um, For I'd have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached to me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. How did you get saved, Paul? I don't know. I just received a revelation from Jesus Christ. And that happens to people too. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous uh, was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then he speaks a little bit and he starts unpacking that. He has this man walking around. He's got a story. I was riding. I was going to persecute the saints. After Stephen is killed, he's there watching. And then he takes on the church, this early church, that is creating revolution among his beloved Jews. And he takes them on. He starts arresting, throwing them in prison. And he's riding his horse one day. And he has an encounter. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Think about that. That was your story. That's his story. I was arrested. That story has shaped history. That one man story. Do you think that maybe your story can shape history? It might not shape the world history, but it might shape someone's history. And that's all that really matters. Is that your story about your encounter with Jesus and, it, and or your walk with Jesus or whatever could become part of someone else's story and revolutionize their lives. And I want to encourage you to do that. I want to encourage you to the boldness of sharing your story as part of the grand narrative of God's story. And then one day, there is a day coming, we will look and we'll see a tapestry. And I'm, just my language. This grand tapestry, this beautiful tapestry, just this beautiful, it'd be fantastic. And you will know that just that, see, see that little green thread over there? That was mine. Because you'll be in it for all eternity. You'll be in this narrative that God has put together. The other thing that's important to tell our story is this, is that we tend to forget We tend to forget. I was talking with someone a few weeks ago who's just kind of struggling with some things in their faith. And I reminded them of a number of encounters that they'd had where I was at most of them. And I was like, oh, yes. That doesn't mean the story will change, but it's remembering. Now, if you get used to telling your story, it just keeps it in your, in your members. Oh, I remember when God did this, when God did this, when God said that, when God moved here. Um, and it's an ever-growing story. It's a beautiful story. See, if the, the saints of old hadn't told their stories, there'd be no oral tradition. If there'd be no oral tradition, there'd be no scriptures. Because all the scriptures are basically, at least the old bit, is oral tradition written down. Now we have it. We have these stories. And they encourage us and they bless us. 
when I took my first class at Fuller with uh, Professor Bobby Clinton, who was an amazing man. The whole idea of that first class, which was called Lifelong Development, is that you would write your story through a timeline, but you'd write your story. And he, he said this, and it was like, it was two major exercises. The first one is, is the first very thing he said, what do you want written on your tombstone? Which is like, well, because if you know what you want written, then you live a life to get there. But the second thing he said, right, you've got to write your story. And maybe one of your children will be the only person that reads it. But it could make a difference. Because if you don't write it down and no one remembers, you could become a forgotten person. Which has happened in history. Now, I know today we have selfies and this and that and we can go anywhere and there'll be masses of photos of everybody all over the place. It doesn't necessarily tell the intricacies of the story of Jesus. Write your story down. Begin, do an autobiography, even if no one ever reads it. But have it because they'll find it. And say, wow, look at this. We never knew that about that person. Oh, so that's why they did this. This is why they... What, because you're right. We, we love... I mean, most people I know love to read biographies and autobiographies. Don't we? They're just the stories, the narratives of other people. So you could choose to live vicariously through someone else's narrative or you can establish your own and tell it as part of the grand narrative of God's story. And I want to encourage you to do that. Um, living this life of, of being a disciple to Jesus is a glorious thing. You know, this morning I spoke at Anthem Camarillo. I don't care, I did two meetings. It's interesting. The first one, you know when you feel like you, I don't know if you've done things and you, you feel like, man, I nailed that. I hit that one out of the park. That's how it felt the first meeting. Second meeting it was, what on earth? Where did that come from? And it was the same notes, same preacher, slightly different audience, but it was like, what? What? What is that talking about? Also, that is that the story of walking as disciples of Jesus crosses different communities, different paths, different colors, different tapestries, different weaves, different... In and we say, well, how does that one tie to this one? But God is doing it. So I shared a little bit of my story there. It's, another, it's a weave. And then someone's sharing their story with someone here, and it's just getting... And you realize, oh, God is majestic. Now, today, we're not talking about great theologies today. I'm not giving you great doctrine today. We can do that. But I want, I, want, I, want to, I want to stir you to your story. I want to stir you that maybe this is the, the important point. Each one of you is just amazing. Do you know that? Every one of you is amazing. Even if you don't think so. You are. You are amazing. You've got gifts and talents and skills and a story and a whatever that no one else has. We are unique. And the weaving of all those stories together is just, wow. But I want you to, you'll tell your story if you think it's worth telling. 
And you'll only tell, think it's worth telling if you think that you have a story that your life counts. And I want to tell you that your life counts. The most insignificant of you, your life counts. You're valuable. You, you're amazing. Think of yourself like that. And I'm not trying to give you some hyper-positive thinking. That's not what we're doing here. I'm speaking that God created you in his image and his likeness. And he put you on the earth with purpose. And he gifted you and made you a certain way. And your eyes are a certain color and your hair is a certain color. And some of you are slender and some like me are not so slender. And what, but we make up this beautiful story. And you've got to see you're valuable. Shared that with the, with the church this morning. And it was like that. You could see them go, what? Because I think we forget to tell that to one another. I think we forget to tell one another, man, you're amazing. You're incredible. Starting next Sunday, can we just go say, you're up, tell your story. You got a week. Next week, no one will be at church. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Sorry? Yeah, we'll draw names. It's just, why? It's not because we're trying to be fun. It's just like, oh, let's hear each other's stories. This is a safe environment. And, it, you know, you can share the gunk. You know? I'm, I, am a, I stand here nearly 60. I'm a man. I was sexually abused. It's part of my story. That God has healed me. You know? Like we, it's part of the story. But, but God weaves it. And he takes this ugly thing and makes it beautiful. That's about a story. Isn't it? The road to Emmaus in Luke 24 is a story of people not quite getting Jesus. They kind of they they'd seen this stuff happening in Jerusalem. They were discouraged. They were walking east to wherever they were going. And through the breaking of bread, their lives are turned around. They recognized Jesus. They turned around, went west. Go west, young man, go west, or whatever. And reconnected with the apostles, told a story, and it's written down. <laughs> As we come to the table this this afternoon, would you come with a, a, a asking the Lord to put a freshness in your heart? Lord as I partake of your story, and I, this is me engaging your story. This is me entering into your story of life and death and resurrection. I'm identifying with life, death, and resurrection. I've been raised again with Christ. I can, his story is my story, and they weave together. Is that all right? Do you think we can do that? So, come and get bread. You know, Mark, thank you for always baking bread. Do you know, did you know that's part of his story? He bakes us bread every Sunday. It's an amazing thing. Um, and for buying glutino. For those who need glutino. <laughs> um, can, we, can we come and get communion and then go back to our places and then we'll pray and have and then Buzz can lead us in some worship. How's that? Is that all right? Please come.